Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. In Galatians 5, as we continue looking at the fruits of the Holy Spirit that Paul has written to the church at Galatia to tell them about, now we're doing an in-depth study of each fruit. The fruits of the Spirit found in verse 22. The fruits of the Spirit is first love, joy, peace, patience, and today we're going to come to the next one, kindness and goodness. We're going to try to squeeze two together. They're actually very complementary, aren't they? Kindness and goodness go together. But they're not the same thing. Kindness and goodness are have a subtle difference. I think you can do goodness and not be kind. Have you ever run into that where someone does you a good deed, but they're not very kind about it? You almost feel like, I wish you wouldn't have done me a good deed because you made me feel like dirt. You know, here, I'm going to help you out this time. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Rather, you just didn't help. I mean, sometimes without kind, kindness is really a, a sweet gift. And I like that, the, that Paul puts it first. Love, joy, peace, patience, then kindness, then goodness. What is kindness? I mean, if you were going to say, is this, is this an important fruit for a Christian to have? I'd say in America, we have a lot of Christians without this fruit. Sad to say, I even know some non-Christians that are kinder than Christians. That's a very sad commentary. It should never be so, but it is. There are some Christians that they just lack the ability to be kind. But let me show you a proverb. Proverbs chapter 19, if you would just turn with me. Verse 17 says, One who is gracious to a poor man, he lends to, to the Lord. And if you lend to the Lord, what does it say will happen? And God will repay him for his good deed. Whenever you are gracious to someone that is in a worse way than you, God sees that. And God, it says, will be no man's debtor. So when it comes to you doing a good thing in the sight of the Lord, don't think God is ever going to not be able to pay up for what you did. In fact, how many of you have seen God's hand where you did something he prompted you to do? You helped someone. Maybe it was on the way home from church. You stopped. You, you helped someone out. And before you could even get to the house, the Lord is already repaying you in, in ways that you didn't even see coming. The Lord is so good at repaying us when we are gracious to those less fortunate. Now, this proverb goes on to say, Listen, verse 20, to counsel, accept discipline, that you might be wise the rest of your days. Verse 21 says, many are the plans of a man's heart. But the counsel of the Lord, it says, it shall stand. Or another translation says, and the Lord will direct. You can have many plans, but the Lord directs your steps. He's the one who ordains or sets that path for you to walk in. Now, verse 22, what is desirable in a man is his kindness. It says, and it is better to be a poor man than to be a liar. This whole proverb talks about how we conduct ourselves in this world. It's better to be a poor man than to be a liar, according to the scripture. But it's desirable, and I like this in the Hebrew, it's a little stronger. It is desirable by who? Who, who desires? It's the Lord. The Lord himself desires for men to be kind. It's a something that 
He wants us to be known as people filled with this fruit of the Spirit, His kindness. Now, if you don't know how to be kind, the Bible says everything that, well, of the heavenly things that we learn, we just have to look to the source. We learn how to love, it says, because God first loved us. If we want to learn how to be kind, well, look at how kind has God been to us. It says His loving kindness is new every morning. And great is his faithfulness. Look at the Lord, the giver of loving kindness, of mercy. Mercy is getting not what you deserve. Because if you got what you deserve, you'd be in a big world. I'd be in a world of hurts. But the Lord in his mercy doesn't give me that. Instead, he gives me grace and, and gives me things I don't deserve. I didn't even merit them. That's what grace is, unmerited favor. Now, lest the girls think this is only for guys, let me show you. In Proverbs 31, you probably have heard this passage, the excellent wife who can find her worth is far above jewels. And the heart of her husband trusts in her, and in her, in her he has no lack of any. Well, that's the beginning of the passage in, in verse 10 of Proverbs 31. But if you go to the end, to verse 26, it says that, well, let me start with verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. A godly woman she has strength and dignity. And it says, and she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness or faith is on her tongue. It's interesting, the translations, the translators, when they came to this word, they said, this is the word what God has towards us. That everlasting faith, the faithful mercy or kindness is right here. The teaching of that. Is on Now, it's really good when your mom teaches you to be kind. Because moms, you might not realize it, but you have probably the greatest effect on whether your boys are going to be kind boys when they grow up. Young men probably learn this better from moms than from dads. hate to say it, but it doesn't say the teaching of kindness is on the dad's tongue. It says it's on the mom's tongue. Because I think that as young boys, we're influenced so much by our mothers and what... The, the things when they teach you to be kind to those people is so important in this generation that we learn this. Now, in the book of 1 Samuel, in chapter 25, there's a story about a woman who shows kindness. It says, Then Samuel died, and Israel altogether mourned for him. They buried him at the house of Ramah, and David arose and went to the wilderness of Paran. Now, Moen, whose, whose business was there, was in Carmel, and and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the, the man's name was also called Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. Now, this woman was intelligent, and she was beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. Remember Caleb, Joshua and Caleb, the, the two guys that actually got to go in 40 years later into the promised land. This man is a descendant from Caleb. You'd think, dude, you have good roots, good stock. You should have come out. Does it just necessarily hold true just because your great-grandpa was a good godly man that you turn out right? Or your father? This is one of the things the scripture bears out. There is no guarantee. It seems like when you study the scripture in the Old Testament, you have one very righteous king, followed by one, his son, wicked king. Then back to righteous, then wicked. They, they ping pong back and forth. A couple wicked, a couple righteous, then a righteous wicked, righteous wicked. 
you you study Israel's history, you go, there's no pattern that you can, you there's no guarantee. Well, Nabal was one of these characters. They didn't stick to Caleb's example, but instead did evil and harshly in his dealings. Now, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David said, ten, sent 10 young men. David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and visit Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, have a long life and peace be with you. That's Hebrew, shalom, greeting of peace. And peace be to your house and be to all that you have. Now, I've heard that your shearers and your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days that they were in Carmel. So ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we've come on a festive day. Please give us whatever you find at your hand to your servants and to your son David. Now, when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to these words in David's name, and they they all waited, and, and it says, But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? And there are many servants today who are breaking away from his master. He's just a rebel. He's breaking away of his father, Jesse. He says, Shall I then take of my bread and my water and my meat and have, uh, uh, that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to these men whose origin I don't know? I don't even know where these guys are from. Can you just hear this guy? Wee, wee, wee. So David's young men, they retraced their way back and they went back and told David according to all the words he had said. And David said to his men, each of you gird his sword. So David girded on his sword and there were about 400 men who went up behind David while 200 stayed with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master and he scorned them. And yet the men were very good to us and, and we were not insulted nor did they, we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. No, they looked after us. So they reported to Abigail what, what really went down. And they, it says they were a wall to us. Both, he says, by night and by day, we were with them tending the sheep. So they protected us. It was great having David's men. They were like a, a wall, a guard to us. Now, when you're out shepherding sheep in the field, do you always feel secure? I mean, come on. This is something that David, by the way, was a shepherd boy. When the, the Lord called him as a young man to, to serve him, but he had compassion and he even had his own men, soldiers, although they'd be, we'd call the ratty-tat-tat group of soldiers, the, the, the real bad guys few defunct Green Berets and flunkies, but they, he had the pretty bad fighters in his group. Now, therefore, when they told this to Abigail, they said, now, therefore, know and consider what you should do, for evil is plotted against our master and against all his household, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. This is his own men telling Abigail, there's evil going to happen to us because of what he said. So Abigail, listen to this. This kind woman, this one, she shows you. Watch how much kindness plays a part in this story. She hurries and takes 200 loaves of bread, two jugs of wine, five sheep that were already prepared. Okay, remember, they just did the slaughtering. She took five sheep already prepared, five measures of roasted grain, and 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. 
And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And it came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain that, behold, David and his men were coming down toward her. And so she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. He said, May God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. Do you think David's a little ticked? Now, is it, did you ever realize that in the Bible it actually rats on these guys it tells they get mad it tells they're gonna he's gonna kill them i like this that this these guys are real this is a real and this is real mad okay just to get it clear i don't want you thinking he was just a little bit tweaked about not getting the food and yet abigail when she saw david listen to what she did she hurried and dismounted from her donkey fell on her face before david and bowed herself to the ground, and she fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be all the blame. Please, she said, let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please, she said, let my Lord pay attention not to this worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, well, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Nabal's his name, and folly is his game. I mean, she flat out calls her husband what he is. She said, but I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to you, my Lord, be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil will not be found in you all your days. And should anyone rise up to pursue you and seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in, in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Man, she's really laying it on, isn't she? God's going to bless you and to abundance and, and, and your enemies. He's going to fling them out like a rock from a, the hollow of the sling. And, well, David was the dude that took the sling and threw the rock that hit Goliath, remember? So she's like, that's what's going to happen to your enemies. Boom, they're going to be gone. And who is she saying to blame all of the food mistake on? Her. It's my fault. I didn't get to, I wasn't there. I didn't hear. Please just. Put all the blame on me. Listen to this. And when the Lord does for my Lord according to the good that he has spoken concerning you, and he appoints you ruler over Israel. Did she know God had appointed that David would be the next king? Yeah. She knew what the prophet had done and anointed him. And she knew that Saul was seeking his life. And she says, thus it will not cause grief or trouble for my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals with my Lord, then she said, remember your maidservant. So she's like, look, I know God's going to make you the next king. So please don't, don't do this bad thing because it'll cause grief for you when you're the king. 
Now her words are really sound. She knew it would become a reproach if David took his own revenge at this point. Later down the road, it'd be like, yeah, you're the guy God appointed king, but you like slaughtered that guy and his, that fool and all his household over some food. So she's like, please don't do it. God will take care of it. Listen to Dave. I, lo I love this. Dave, verse 32, you see the heart, Dave. Then David said to Abigail, now he was hot under the collar about this, but listen to what he says. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment and blessed be you. To Abigail, he blesses her. You have kept me this day from bloodshed and, avenge, and, and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. David's telling her, it's really good you came. So David received from her hand what she had brought and said to her, go up to your house in peace. See, I've listened to you and granted your request. Now her kindness just averted all of the males in their house from dying. How powerful is one act of kindness? I mean, think about it. Just her one act of kindness just saved every male in that house. Don't think your kindness goes overlooked, girls. Kindness is a powerful thing. Back in Galatians 5.22, the next fruit after kindness was goodness. What would be a really good example of goodness? The Good Samaritan. Why don't, would, would you turn with me to Luke? I like to highlight each of these attributes of the Holy Ghost, these fruits of the Spirit, as they're called in Galatians, in an example from the Scripture that helps really bring it to light. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 30, and Jesus replied, he said, there was a man that, that was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you go over the top of the Mount of Olives, down the backside toward Jericho, there's a valley. And this is the desert region. If you're familiar with deserts, do you walk out in the hot plains in the sun in the desert to travel? No. There's a, there is this deep ravine valley with a little, we call it a creek in Arizona. They call it actually a river. <laughs> It's a trickle, okay? But it's water. And water in the desert is life. So there's this valley, and it goes, it traverses all the way from the backside of the Mount of Olives. It goes all the way down to Jericho. Now, Jericho is the place, remember that Joshua fought the battle of Jericho? He didn't really fight, the Lord fought. But anyway, the Lord made the walls go down. Jericho was, in the early days of Israel, the wintering palace the capital for the kings of Israel. The Jerusalem was the summertime. It's a higher elevation. It's up in the mounts, the Mount of Zion, we call. It's cooler. So they have their summer times up there. Remember, this is not AC and heating and all that stuff like we got today. If you're the king, you can afford to have two places to, to rule from, okay? So one is, in, one, one is here down in Jericho and what is a, a lower elevation down kind of toward the Dead Sea. And in the wintertime, it would be warmer than staying in Jerusalem. People don't realize it, it snows. Well, the valley between there was, is that, it's actually mentioned in the Bible, it's called the Valley of the Shadow of Death, or another name, the Valley of Thieves. But Jesus said to the man that's an attorney, he says, um, 
there was a certain man, he was traveling toward, well, on the road here, and these guys knew this road. He was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he fell amongst the robbers, and they stripped him, and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, it says there was a priest going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, there was a Levite who also, he came and to the place and he saw him and he passed by on the other side. A priest and a Levite. This is not good. These are the religious guys, right? You can just see him tuck their robe in. But it says, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon the man and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came up to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Then the next day he took out two denarii, that's two days' wages, and he put it to the innkeeper and said, take care of this man, and whatever more you spend, I will re when I return, I will pay you. He says, which of these three, Jesus asked the attorney, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Now just so you know, by the way, a Samaritan in Jewish culture is not someone... Remember the, the woman from Samaria, Samaria the, at the well? And she said, why do you talk to me? I'm a Samaritan. We don't have any dealings with you Jews. Because the Samaritans were, were their half-breeds, yeah. When the Assyrian army had invaded the northern part of Israel, this is like, I, I, my mind's saying around 520 BC, but don't, I'll have to look that one up for positive for you. But there was a, they, they came in, they killed off the the some of the men of Israel, and they, and as a humiliation, the warriors of the Syrians went into to the Israeli women. And the offspring, now were the Jews supposed to marry outside of their Jewish? No. So now, it, double humiliation, they have the women impregnated by their enemy and the children born. Those children would grow up with Jewish moms and Syri enemy Syrian dads and they would wind up becoming the people we call the Samaritans. Well, they're not exactly liked by the Jews. And Jesus, telling the story, picks the guy who is the guy that shows mercy and compassion on the, the man who fell into the hands of the thieves and took care of him and, and put up his money to take care of him and said, if it costs you any more, let me know and I'll repay you. A Samaritan did this. And Jesus says, so which one of them proved to be a neighbor? The priest, the Levite, or the good Samaritan? And the man answered, he said, um, well, I suppose. <laughs> I no, no, did you see that? The one who showed mercy toward him. Man, you can just tell it's killing the guy. And Jesus answered, he said, go and do the same. Does Jesus want us to be merciful to people? Does he want us to do, when it comes to showing goodness, goodness is expressed by helping people when they're in trouble. That's what real goodness does. And kindness, well, we saw Abigail, she stepped in and kept someone from doing evil when they were intent on it. Did you know that's actually a kind thing to do? You know, you say you're a good friend to your buddy, but you see him doing evil and you don't do anything about it. What's it saying, James? If you see your brother in sin, you who are spiritual are supposed to 
go to him. True kindness is if you see your brother going in the wrong way, you go to him. You say, man, you're, that's not right. Now, will your brother always like you when you do this? Sometimes they hate your guts. Get used to it. Later, the interesting thing happens. Later they go, you were the only one that told me I was doing wrong. I have the greatest respect for you. And they actually, when they, and by the way, will the Lord must work them over and get them to repent? You know, eventually they will. And when they do, they'll come to you and go, thanks for being the one that at least told me right. The Bible says David, even though he messed up, says he was a man after God's own heart. He had a heart that was tender. When God corrected him, he received that correction. I hope I always want to be like that. I mean, I know I mess up, but I don't want to be the one that is stiff-necked and, and, and like the Jews that, that were, would, would resist when God was correcting. I want to be the one that goes, all right, Lord, you're right. I got to stop. Be like David and be able to call your sin sin and repent of it. That's the right thing. And if you have a true friend, a true friend will sometimes tell you, you're blowing it. You need to stop. And they might get mad at you for a little while. It'll happen. You'll see. But in the long run, they'll know you really care about them. And that's what true goodness and kindness does. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.